Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everyone. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. It's a great Thursday morning here in Washington, D.C., and we have Angela Sells on with us this morning. Good morning, Angela. Good morning. Greetings. Greetings. Happy Thursday, Vernon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking our time to be on the show. And where are you this morning? I'm located in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio, right here in the Midwest. All right, fantastic, Cleveland, Cleveland. I lived there one year. It w- it was it was nice. Uh, I taught middle school. That wasn't so nice, but I taught middle school one year uh, in Cleveland. So tell us, Angela. You grew up in Cleveland. Tell us about your education, and let's just go with education first. Sure. Well, I was born and raised in Cleveland in a Mount Pleasant community. I went to Cleveland Public Schools. And um, at the time, they had study abroad programs. So I had the opportunity as a fifth grader to actually go to France um, and stay with a French family for three weeks in the Cleveland Public School System. Wow. Of course, they don't offer anything like that today, but... It was okay back then. We had to take foreign language. And actually, that helped propel me in, you know, into my future, having that opportunity as a young lady. Um, my mom then moved us to the suburbs when I was around 16. And so I actually uh, graduated from Maple Heights High School, which uh, is a suburb of Cleveland. It's in the southeast part of the city. And uh, from there, I graduated and went to the University of Cincinnati. Uh, I was there for three years. I started off uh, being an industrial engineering major. And after I got to physics two and three, it wiped me out. Uh-oh. So I came home and transferred to Cleveland State University and pursued a Bachelor of Business Administration and Finance. Um, I graduated and started uh, working here uh, at McDonald and Company Investments, which is now Key Bank. And did that for a little while, wasn't making enough money. I said, okay, I need to go back to school. And I pursued my master's degree at the uh, University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky, the bluegrass state, Mm -hmm. which was very exciting at the time because we won two NCAA championships while I was a grad student there. So that was like a really, you know, great experience. So I finished, I got my MBA in international business. And then uh, I packed up and moved to Atlanta and worked there for a little while um, in private banking as an accountant. And um, I moved overseas to the UK uh, where I continued to pursue my studies at the University of the West of England in Bristol, uh, England, in the Bristol Business School. Um, I was working on my doctorate in operations and information management 
And although I didn't complete the doctoral studies, I did earn a postgraduate certificate in um, applied research. And so uh, that's my educational background. My grandmother said, are you going to be a professional student? I said, I guess so, Grandma. So in the U.K., did you live in the black community? Did you find the black community in the U.K.? Yes, I did. Um, Well, the most famous black community in the U.K. is in London. It's called Brixton. Um, But I lived like 90 minutes southwest of London in a city called Bristol. We actually lived in St. Paul's, which was the black section of Bristol. And uh, most of the blacks in the U.K. are folks from Africa, um, African descent, Somalians, um, there's a lot of Somalians there, Ethiopians, of course, Ghanaians. And then there's also a heavy Caribbean population. A lot of people from Jamaica, Trinidad, uh, Barbados, they go to the UK. So most of the black folks were from the Caribbean or Africa. So I was an anomaly as a black American mm-hmm. there, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And they used to say, oh, your accent is wicked. You know, they <laughs> thought I had the accent. <laughs> I was just surprised in the UK of how big the black community is because I only think of white folks in the UK. So I was surprised that uh, blacks there. Okay. So let's talk about work now because I'm really wanting to know how you got into the co-op world. So let me ask you this question. Did you learn about co-ops in your business undergrad degree or your MBA or working on your doctorate in the UK? Did you learn about co-ops? Actually, none of my formal education introduced me to anything about co-ops. Um, so I didn't learn it there. I, I didn't learn about co-ops until I actually left corporate and came into the community uh, full-time. And, and my corporate background, actually, um, I've worked in banking and brokerage, real estate, and telecommunications. For the first part of my career, I worked as an accountant. I've been a funds accountant, a research accountant, um, a staff accountant, payroll accountant. And uh, the second half of my career, I worked in HRIS, which is Human Resource Information Systems. And I have expertise on a particular software that, you know, afforded me some success in the corporate world, but I, uh, a bit of a techie, um, I was responsible for doing analytics and ensuring that the system accurately paid, um, the employees, an employee role of 45,000 employees we were responsible for. And I also uh, gained some international experience in the food and beverage industry, but more in the back office side. We did a shift and lift from Costa Rica to Manila, the Philippines. And so I led that project for my department. So I did have some exposure in the food and beverage industry, more from a back office standpoint, but it wasn't until I actually left corporate America that I got introduced to fully into the cooperative space. I kind of got fed up with being on a corporate plantation. And so I left and came out to the community. And actually, my brother and I started a business here in Cleveland. Uh, we had two locations. We were working in the appliance business. And then someone headhunted me and they Wait a minute, what kind, made what me an business? offer. What was the business? We uh, had a used appliance store. Oh, used we appliance. were in the appliance business. Yeah, used appliances. We had two locations, one in Maple Heights, one in Garfield. 
And that actually launched his brand, um, which is still going today, but he pivoted into the real estate sector, but still under our same brand that we started back then. And um, while we were working in the uh, used appliance business, another big corporation called me and asked me to, to come and they gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I went back to work for a little while. And after about a year and a half, I'm like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. So I left corporate for good and became a full-time, what they would call serial entrepreneur, I guess. Okay. And um, I started and founded a nonprofit. And right around the same time is when I ran into a group here in Cleveland. Because when I first came out, I started working with like brother uh, Dr. Umar. I worked with Empress Chi of uh, the Million Women March 20-Year Reunion. I was coming out doing more community-based things, saying, what can I do for my people? How can I use the skill set that I have acquired to uh, help the community? But what I found is that there's a lot of passion in the community, but not necessarily money to help fuel the passion. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I have a certain quality of life and I need to try to figure out how I can do what I love and help people and still be able to earn, you know, what I need to earn to maintain myself. And so um, there was a meeting here in Cleveland, a community meeting around economic empowerment. And so I said, well, let me go check this out. And when I went, there was a group of folks talking about opening a black owned grocery store that would be a co-op a black owned grocery food co-op i was like oh wow that aligns you know with the values of my institution let me see how i can assist so what, what and year was so this? what year was this this was in 2017 2016 2017 probably 2016 okay yeah and um so they actually, you know, after we talked, they said, oh, can you be our business consultant and help us get it going? And, I, you know, I had some expertise in business. And so I said, sure. So I, I first came on as a consultant with Little Africa. And then um, they asked me to be a part of the team. So I've been rocking with them ever since. Um, we are probably going into year eight. So at this point, I'm a co-founder of Little Africa Food Co-op. But Little Africa Food Co-op, um, and I guess we'll talk about that in more detail, but it was founded behind the murder of Philando Castile. And we know that uh, many times when a black man is murdered at the hands of police, there's an immediate outcry. Um, and we're complaining. But in that particular case, the founder, uh, Ms. Tila Badu, she said, well, are we going to complain or are we going to do something about it? Because we know that we're getting murdered, you know, every day, but they're also killing us with the food. And so her big idea was, let's start a black owned grocery store. And so when I came along, we started researching co-ops and that's really how uh, we got into uh, trying to figure out how to do it. And, you know, what the cooperative model looked like, because we didn't want to be extractive. We wanted to, you know, have a shared interest in the business that will also uplift the community. And so that's how I got into uh, the co-op cooperative space. So what's the mission of Little Africa? So our mission is to provide a healthy, um, affordable, uh, fresh foods to the community. And our vision really is to start off here in Cleveland, but we want to take our um, model national 
you know, over the long term. Um, it's very interesting because during this work, we have been able to connect with other people throughout the country that have the very same passion and idea. And so now as a result of us going to the up and coming conference i think we've been going for about five years now we've been able to connect with other black-led food cooperators or you know co-op developers Mm -hmm. and so there are many people throughout the country that's um, doing this work but our motivation was behind black wall street of course you know everybody points to tulsa and there's a picture out there in the universe when black wall street was being burnt by the domestic terrorists, they have put a caption on the picture that said, Little Africa is burning. And so um, part of our motivation for Little Africa was behind the Black Wall Street model, um, because we know that in order for us to have a strong community, we need at least five basic institutions and having a grocery store is one of them. Of course, we need hospitals, but we we prefer to look at health and wellness more holistically. You need educational institutions. You need your, your financial institutions. You need your grocery stores. And, of course, what was missing in Wall Street was security. So you also need to have a security systems in place in order to build an actual community. Angela, we're going to take our first break. Uh, everybody, we'll be right back and continue talking to Angela Sells about Little Africa Food Cooperative in Cleveland. We'll be right back. This is WOL News Talk 1450 AM at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. We're talking about co-ops, and right before the break, our guest, Angela Sells, was talking about Little Africa Food Co-op and how it got started based on Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street. So, Angela, how did you get money to get started up, Little Africa? Well, actually, we're still working on that. But we got our seed money, our, our startup money. The call went out to the community on social media to let's do this grocery store and everyone, you know, come meet us down at Faith Community Credit Union um, here on 93rd in Cleveland, which is our only black-owned financial institution, um, so that we could raise money. And the, the community responded. Uh, Little Africa was able to raise $1,500 on that day, um, start an account, and then birth Little Africa. Since then, we've been able to obtain funding through our programming to the community. When COVID hit, we, you know, went into response mode because the city was shut down, schools were closed down, and we were really concerned about our elders and seniors and those most, you know, impacted by COVID. They couldn't come out the house and go grocery shopping. And so we uh, came together under a collaboration to try to figure out how could we get food to them. And that launched our emergency food response and delivery program, which we ran successfully uh, for about two and a half years. And we were able to get some funding for that. Um, So, you know, we were getting some smaller grants and scholarships, but that kind of propelled us to be able to get some money to actually do programs. So we were able to serve 
um, five communities here in Cleveland, Huff, Fairfax, uh, Mount Pleasant, uh, Central Kinsman, East Cleveland, and the uh, um, Lee Harvard communities, as well as some of the suburbs, of course. When people call, we're not going to turn anyone away. And so uh, we were feeding 300 families for at least a period of two years. And we partnered off with some of the churches here in the community, as well as some of the community centers. So we did hot meals, which the seniors love because they like to have the hot meal come. We do fish fry uh, Fridays. And we also would cook down at the Friendly Inn for some people that would come on site and then we would also be delivering. And then, of course, we were able to get fresh produce and groceries to our people as well as PPE um, products and supplies at the time. And so that was really successful for us. And we also um, launched an appliance program because in our community, you know, we like to fry a lot of food and we put a lot of food in the microwave. So we were encouraging eating more vegetables and also preparing them like in a toaster oven. We gave away crock pots and grills and, and blenders, things like that, along with recipes. And, you know, we had contests on how you could use these. We did veggie kits. We took the vegetables and we created uh, veggie kits where we would cut them up and, you know, give those away a week supply along with the appliances and encourage the families to send us pictures of their favorite dishes that they were able to use the vegetables for. And that was very successful. Uh, we still have about 75 uh, families on our wait list to, you know, continue that program. So we were able to, you know, get funded uh, for programming. Now we're working on putting together our capital stack because we have acquired land and we're, you know, ready to build our uh, commercial kitchen first. Um, as we pivot into, you know, our food hub there in the Mount Pleasant community here in Cleveland. Okay, so when you're doing these uh, fresh meals, uh, particularly the vegetables, did you work with there's a, there's a co-op, uh, greenhouse co-op in Cleveland? I don't know the name of it, but... Are you talking about Evergreen? Yeah, Evergreen, yeah. Evergreen co-op is, they have like a laundry co-op. And they have, that's their biggest co-op. So, I don't think and they have some other operations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they have some other operations. And that's the one that I'm most familiar with. Um, I'm not sure what they're doing in the food space, but there's a place called Riddle Green, which is one of two spaces that is zoned as an agricultural innovation zone, um, in Cleveland. And they're black owned and operated. And, but they're not a co-op though, but they do have aquaponics, hydroponics, composting, you know, they grow, they have uh, programs uh, down there for the veterans. And so we partner with them, but there is a co-op movement in Cleveland that's happening. It's not a black movement. <laughs> um, there's these uh, other co-ops that have are popped up. Of course, Little Africa is part of that. Um, we, you know, stay in the mix. We're on, um, you know, the leadership of how that is shaping up because we want to make sure that we stay on the, the pulse of what's going on here in our city. But in terms of black-led co-ops, we are it okay. here in Cleveland. Yes. So I was just wondering, because you said that your first time you raised money was in front of the Faith Community Credit Union, and credit unions are co-ops. So there's, principle, there's seven principles, and principle six talk about cooperation among co-ops. And I was just wondering if you all had worked with Faith Community Credit Union to help raise that $1,500, and if you were working with Evergreen and their greenhouse that they produce 
uh, vegetables if you're working with them and creating this e- this co-op ecosystem inside Cleveland? Mm, great question. Um, we haven't worked with them in that way in terms of, you know, cooperation among co-ops. Um, I wasn't, I'm not even sure about Faith Credit, uh, Community Credit Union being a co-op. It may be, but we just chose them because they were, you know, black led and black owned. So that was the intentional choice of Little Africa to work with them. Um, of course, credit unions have a little limitations because they don't really service businesses as much. They mostly service like individuals in the community. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little difficult uh, when it comes to, you know, day-to-day operations and what we need from a business perspective. But we definitely support uh, them and ask others to support them. In terms of Evergreen, um, I know that they are a non-black institution. And so I don't think we've actively tried to engage with them. Most of our collaborators, we look for Black-owned or Black-led organizations in the community to work with. So we work with quite a few of them, but not that co-op in particular. But what we do have relationships with other Black food co-ops, but they're not local. They're throughout the country. Our mentoring uh, co-op, well, that is Dayton, Gym City. They're in our state, but they're our mentoring uh, co-op. And so any time we need anything or, you know, information, we've they've actually come up here and done trainings for us. We were there for their grand opening. And so it's always advised that a newer co-op, you know, have a relationship with the co-op that's a few steps ahead. And so they're our mentoring co-op and they're open and they're up and running. And I will consider them a success story. Of course, we have strong relationships with Detroit People's Food Co-op, which is not open yet, but they're built that's a 22 million dollar project uh we have you know connections with north flint and um folks out of pittsburgh uh queen mother's market in cincinnati and so there's other black grocery co-ops that we're co-oping with Mm -hmm. um but here in cleveland we are but there's nobody just as all black besides little africa and so you when you mentioned training that's the fifth principle and that's the reason i started liking co-ops when i first was introduced to them training information uh education is the fifth principle so it's getting people to understand in this case how do you run a grocery store and that's not the easiest business to run as you probably know (laughs) better than me okay it's not easy matter of fact it's hard and if you don't do it right Mm -hmm. you can fail so i like that education part of it and your community focus so I met you at the up and coming this past, I don't know, three weeks or so ago, and you were talking about some marketing research. Uh, what kind of research did, did you do? Yes. So Little Africa Food Co-op is a member of the National Black Food and Justice Alliance. And so the alliance, known as the alliance, the alliance has a co-op group. And so they commence regular monthly meetings um, for the cooperative group. And so I'm the representative and I'm part of that. And last year at the up and coming, we always kind of get together and talk about what's going on in our, our co-op journey. And so one of the issues that came up is funding and financing. It's taking an average of 10 years to get a black led food 
grocery co-op open a whole decade and in some cases more and you know the urgency to feed our people is now like we're dealing with food apartheid now we're dealing with lack of access now we're dealing with health disparities now and so you know the the great minds got together and trying to figure out why is it so hard for us to get this funding and financing to get our projects going and one of the key tools that Funders make decisions on whether or not they're going to finance or fund the co-op is based on a market study. And so that led to us sharing experiences about market studies. And what happens is we set out to get a, have a, a full scale grocery store, 10,000 square foot grocery store. But by the time the market researcher comes to town, or does the research, we're down to a 3,000 square foot, you know, convenience store okay. uh, based on their market. So that was a pain point and an issue. And so the alliance took the uh, mantle to say, let us figure this out. And so I contracted with them to be the research facilitator to create uh, what we call rethinking market studies. So let me, um, and let me th- stop you there, mm-hmm. Angela, because sure. we have to take our next break. So we've been talking to Angela Sells out of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, we talked about the Little Africa Food Cooperative, which was started in 2016. And now we're talking about market research. So we're going to take our second break, and then we'll be back to, to talk to Angela about the research and want to go into her Institute of Financial Unity. We'll get, we're talking about finance here, but getting to know about financial unity. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. News Talk 1450 WOLAM Welcome back everybody This is Vernon Oaks and the program is Everything Cooperative uh, Angela Sales is our guest today Angela, this October October is, is, a, is a great month For me In that I just turned 76 On Saturday, so October 7th Is my birthday, so we celebrated that Yes this is 10 years. This October is 10 years we've been on air. And so we're celebrating that all year long and, and just having fun talking to people like you. And also October is co-op month. So we celebrate co-op month all month long. And there is a large co-op presence in the UK. I was wondering if you had learned about it there. But the National Cooperative Bank has been our sponsor uh, all of these 10 years. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. So I don't know if you've had a chance to work with NCB at the Little Africa Food Co-op in Cleveland, but that may be one place when you start looking at your stack that you may be able to go to because they, their goal Congress uh, created them in the 80s was to help co-ops, particularly in low-income communities, and part of Cleveland is definitely low-income. So we're going to talk about this market research, that Angela was the key person to do it. The National Black Food Co-op Alliance hired her, encouraged her to come and do this research. The market research is where... The funders, like National Co-op Bank or Shared Capital, or any of these funders would be looking to um, fund Little Africa Food Co-op in Cleveland. 
So, Angela, let's talk about this research. You had said before that the research was used to help the funders decide if they were going to fund and how much they were going to fund. And you may have started off with or anywhere in the U.S. may have started off saying we want a 10,000 square foot food co-op. But after the research, the research says that the community would only support a 3,000 square foot food co-op. And therefore, that's all the funding that one could get. So what was the mission of your research? Well, the purpose of the research really was to um, understand what is happening and then also looking for some emerging principles, insights, strategies, and recommendations. You know, what we found is that typical market research looks at what we call quantitative data, and they will make a comparison of what's called census tracts, which is a certain geographic box that they they draw and they look at income, age, and things like educational attainment and those numbers and they compare it to a similar census tract and make a determination based on that information quite subjectively sometimes as if what is feasible or viable for that particular area. So of course, if you're looking at a low income area, it's going to show that you have low incomes, it's not an affluent area, but it misses something very important, which is cultural relevancy. So those market studies and the methodologies that they use don't take into account culture. For example, the market study won't show that certain people may travel the extra 5, 10, or 20 miles to come and support a black-owned business to help you know, keep the business going and be a member of the co-op. You're not going to find that in the data. There's also what we, we call the black economy, which is like Miss Susie who, you know, bakes her butter pound cakes uh, for the church and she sells them or, you know, the brother who makes the rib dinners on the weekends and, you know, are selling them. That type of economy that we know exists in our community is not going to show up in anyone's database. So when Mm -hmm. they look at how much food is being sold in a community, they don't take into account what we know happens in our communities. Fish fries, Friday fish fries, barbecue ribs, cakes, pies, all of these, all of this food happens. Okay, got it. Don't forget the collard greens. Okay. <laughs> okay. And cornbread. Okay. All right. My favorite. Yes. Okay. So, you know, that that's part of it. And also when they do the market research, they don't talk to the community that lives there. They are just going off what they call proprietary databases that we don't have access to and the the process is not very transparent. But part of the insight is you need to talk to the people in the community and help that also to inform your uh, research. And so what we find is that co-ops have to be proactive and perhaps creating their own surveys, doing um, some of our own data collection, and helping these researchers along. The black-led co-ops are really calling for researchers to have some level of cultural competency, um, a certain amount of emotional intelligence, and let's look you know, at the facts. People come to situations with inherent bias. There's just not people doing this work that looks like us. 
And so, you know, there's already built in assumptions that may not be rooting for our success. And so, you know, you can create a narrative any way you want to. You as a, a, a journalist, you know, you can tell the story. And it's the same thing with numbers. You know, 50% of, you know, folks that have a positive attitude today could be between me and you, two people. So, I mean, you know, all and, of and, that. And I have, the, I have the positive attitude. I got it. You don't. Okay. <laughs> okay. So in our case, okay. it's 100. But, you know, so, so the market study, rethinking market studies, that's kind of the point is to look at things. And, and it brought out a lot of insights that researchers aren't looking at. Uh, we also put together tools and templates like a toolkit. Uh, thanks to the Alliance of Their Communications Department. And so there's a lot of helpful links on there for black-led co-ops to use. And um, next, we're going to be talking more with funders to really review the report and see how they can incorporate the principles. Because out of all of the funders we talked to, none of them had a what we call a racial equity statement or um, a diversity equity statement, and they don't have a department that focuses particularly on diversity and equity, they may have one person in their institution that may be, you know, looking at it. And so there's just a lot of more work to do in the field. But I will uh, commend the Alliance. And I also want to shout out Collective Courage Fund because they are leading the way in getting Black-led co-ops funded. Um, and that fund is named after the great Jessica Gordon-Newhart, Gordon who, yes, who wrote Collective Courage. So there is work being done, but it's a self-determination. You know, we're doing Kuji Chagalia, uh, which is one of the Nguzo Sabo principles in terms of just being self-determined and having that creativity, that kumba, and, um, you know, collective work and responsibility. While we're working with the institutions, we're also looking at how can we help ourselves. Now, I want to go with help ourselves. I want to go all the way back to something you said earlier when you were talking about the people that does the research. They're normally white folk. They're not normally people like us. They don't have the emotional competency or the cultural relationship or experience. And you said something that they may want to harm us. I forgot your exact words. But here's what I've gotten. They may not want to harm us. They may be good people. And they may not be trying to harm black folk. But when you look at systemic racism, it's built into the research because of all of the things you said that the research doesn't have. When they come into our communities and put and lay this research that they've been doing in the white communities, because most food co-ops have been white hippie type folk that started it or looked like they started it. And so they are basing their research on white hippie folk and what they want and what they've done and they put it over here and lay that on to the black community and it doesn't fit and that's mm -hmm. racist in itself i call it systemic racism and because I, when i've when i've talked to people that like maybe doing the research they say no, i'm a good person I, I i have great black friends i mean they may not be saying that jokingly even they good people great black friends okay great and you're being racist okay <laughs> so just own it this is in the system of the research is racist against our community and so i just wanted to bring that because you may have some really good white folk that's doing the research and they're just as racist as perhaps this 
I want to pick on the South, but somebody in the South that just knows they don't like black people and tell them, but the same result happens. Mm -hmm. And the The word I use is inherent bias, not that they want to, you know, intentionally do us harm. But what you said, when you come with a set of assumptions because of your background, because of your worldview, you know, because of your experience in certain environments, you develop an inherent bias is the correct term. And so the harm may not be intentional, but it's exactly what you're saying, Vernon. It's built into the, the cake. It's just built in. So this this propriety databases, when they have their databases, you can't see what's in them, their propriety. They look, I would imagine, at white communities, and they're based on white communities because that's what they've done before, not in ours. So, yeah, that's inherit, inherit biases. Okay, so where do you see this uh, research taking you or well, taking the co-op hope- movement? Mm-hmm. Great, great question. Um, our, our focus and goal is that we will put the data, um, the insights right in front of the decision makers. You know, we're in a time where folks have been talking a while about diversity, equity, inclusion. And of course, you know, folks that weren't in black consciousness there was all of a sudden a new wave after the George Floyd murder where I'm going to say there's been some white guilt based on the facts, you know, based on the truth of what the system is. And so I think some forms of correction are taking place in the system, be it slow. And that we've got to take our final break and we'll come back and talk about some of the problems in the system. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. This is WOL News Talk 1450 AM at 95.9 FN959. Information is power. Angela says, I, I have it, that information is potential power. You don't get the power until you get into action. You might need the information to know how to start a food co-op or how to manage a food co-op or any other co-op. But you don't get the power until you get into action. And if mm-hmm. you get a group of people to act together, you get superpower uh, working mm-hmm. together. Before we took the break, you were still talking about the research and how to use the research. Let, could you finish that comment? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, our goal in partnership with the National Black Food and Justice Alliance as um, a community of black-led co-op developers is to help inform um, decision makers uh, why we're a good investment. Why the, you know, black community and black food, land, sovereignty is a good investment. And so we're not coming with just emotion and passion and we have all of that, but we're coming with data, you know, qualitative data, quantitative data um, to talk to them about doing what needs to be done um, and, you know, walking the talk, 
putting your money where your mouth is. And, you know, in some ways we're just old restitution and, you know, compensation and reparations, all of the above. But this research will help to inform some core principles and help to uh, influence, you know, decision makers to get those resource allocations to our grocery stores. That's really the bottom line. All right. When you're talking about money. So talk to me about your Institute of Financial Unity. Unity. Yes. Yes. So the Institution of Financial Unity um, is a nonprofit organization that I founded. I guess it's going on eight years ago. And our mantra is financial unity for the global black community. And we offer uh, financial and business literacy programming. You know, there's just a need for it in our community. And so we've developed curriculum around uh, Get Your Money Right workshop series. We have an artpreneurship series for artists and how to monetize uh, your art. We also do bookkeeping basics all the way up through advance. We uh, train on taxes. And uh, we also have an international um, component because we have two centers of excellence um, on the continent of Africa, one in the north of Tanzania, one in the south of Tanzania, uh, where we're working on the ground with institutions to develop a financial independence, and we work in agribusiness there as well. Uh, We also have programming and sustainable uh, land solutions. We developed a curriculum for residents who want to develop green space, and um, it's a 10-week program. And so we, you know, finance, no matter what business you're in, like you have to have some finance fundamentals because money comes in, money goes out, you have to have assets. So we also uh, provide fee-based services under the banner of financial unity. We have what's called the FUS team. We, you know, let our clients know that they're worth the FUS. And FUS is an acronym for Financial Unity Shared Services. So we provide uh, tax preparation um, and strategy and filing services. We do bookkeeping. We run payrolls uh, for our clients. We do budgets and financial statements. We also offer business and financial coaching as well as, um, you know, portfolio management. Uh, so, yeah, we do all things finance, particularly for small businesses, nonprofits, uh, medium businesses and entrepreneurs. So people come to us. We have a you know a heavy demand for our services and our programming. And this is where my life's work is. I mean, I'm a finance major. I have, you know, a deep background in uh, finance and banking and brokerage and real estate and international business. And so all things culminated. Uh, we have a team of seven. And, um, yeah, financial unity helps build institutions. And we stand on, you know, a key principle of integrity because when you're dealing with folks' money, it's very sensitive. You know, it's highly confidential. And we have to be integral in our dealings. And so dealing with Little Africa, you know, taking ownership and feeding ourselves, it's one such institution that we can partner with to build for our community. We also do advocacy for global African women, where we operate in 19 regions worldwide. Um, Four of the regions are here in the U.S., and we use African sisterhood as a business development model. So the institution of financial unity is all things business, all things finance, um, because we have to be sustainable. It's great to get grants, you know, but we should take those as seed money um, and then figure out how can we sustain ourselves 
and find all the different ways that we can to generate income because until you can take care of yourself, you can't help take care of other people. And that's one thing I found out about the community. The community is always going to have a demand, always have needs from our local to national to international community, but you got to take care of home so that you can have an overflow and then you can help others. And so that's basically what the institution is all about. Fantastic. You okay? Are you for, yes. Are you familiar with Ujama uh, in Pittsburgh? Ujama Collective, U-J-A-M-A-A Collective. I've heard they, of it, but I don't know who, yeah, I don't know anyone who's involved with it. They are a group of black women that formed an artist co-op, and they have a storefront. Um, they do jewelry and clothing and paintings, artwork. They have great product. And so when you're talking about what you are doing, it seems like it would be a natural fit at Ujama. And they, it's for black women and through the, throughout the diaspora. So they'll they'll bring in, you know, clothing or jewelry from Africa and sell in their in their storefront mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh. Oh, Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Not too far from here. That's pretty mm-hmm. close, actually. Yeah, I'll have to so connect with them. I know Sister Free out of Pittsburgh. She's doing the food co-op down there. So I bet she probably knows them. I would imagine. I would imagine. Um, in your bookkeeping services, can you take somebody like me on in taxes and here in D.C.? I'm serious. This is a serious question. Absolutely, yes. Actually, I'll be uh, well right down the street from you in Baltimore. I have a client there. I'm going to do a site visit uh, with them um, next week, early next week. Um, yeah, I can definitely take you on. We can do a needs assessment to see exactly, you know, what you need and why perhaps you're not happy with who's doing it now or if you're just, you know, starting off with it and we can get you transitioned and, you know, help you to hopefully improve, you know, wherever your pain points are and consult and coach you through whatever your financial goals might be. Absolutely. So it's if somebody else out there would like to get your services, either uh, your knowledge about the food co-op or the market research or financial unity, how would they get a hold to you or either one of those organizations? Okay, so for Little Africa, anybody interested in the food co-op or food education, assisting, supporting, you can reach out to us. You can check our website, first of all, which is Little Africa, F as in food, C-O as in co-op, littleafricafco.com. That will give you a phone number and an email. Uh, Please follow us on Facebook as well. We're under the Little Africa Food Collaborative. We're on Instagram. And for Financial Unity, you can check out our website. It's financialunity.org, financialunity.org. And um, you can also find our uh, email, and we're also on Facebook and Instagram, um, and that'll probably be the best way to to contact us. You'll get all the contact information at the website. Okay. Got a suggestion for you. Our website is everything.coop, so everything.coop. So the handle for cooperators is .coop, so I would recommend you look into getting littleafricafood.coop as your web page. I did, um, and I was trying to figure out, it seems like somebody has a proprietary access to the .coop, so maybe you can help me with that. It was, it was yeah, seemed like there was yeah, only uh, one place you could go to get it. 
Is there is you? one place, and yeah, they're very friendly once you get, find them. They're good. They're good. Okay. They're friendly. They're easy. Um, okay, so we need to get back and do my needs assessment, show you about how to contact the .coop people. Um, what kind of message would you like to leave people about, and, and particularly in the future, with all of this knowledge you've gotten, what do you see for the future, and what would you like to leave people with? Uh, thank you, Vernon, for that. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, thank you to the listening audience. Um, I just want to encourage our community. Uh, we're living in a peculiar time in the world and in society in general, and uh, we know that, you know, uh, we know we're the mother of civilization. We know we're the original people. And so, you know, to whom much is given, much is required and much is the responsibility. And so I would just urge us to just take a look within um, and look at this concept of umoja, unity, this concept of Ubuntu, collective, I am because we are. And that we work together, that we actually practice cooperating. We actually practice, you know, collaborating. Um, one thing I love about the, the co-op, co-op, black-led cooperators, we are like, we are described as the tip of the arrow. That's the type of energy that we are bring. So we're shifting the paradigm. We're moving things. And so um, I just encourage everybody, get your house in order and work with your neighbor. You know, let's got to go. Let's work with your neighbor. And by the way, we'll be back next Thursday. Work with your neighbor, neighbor and live cooperatively. We'll see you next Thursday. News Talk 1450 WOLAM, where information is power.